Do you need new video content? Are you a manager with a roster of artists that are hungry to create something more? Are you a band or a solo artist and you want to do a live stream concert or even a live stream concert series? Are you an entrepreneur or a brand ambassador looking to create some content that is outside the box? Well, Hello TV has you covered. H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V.com. We're happy to have them here as a sponsor on the Berman Hour. Now, full disclosure, I work for Hello TV and have for almost a year. We started this company when the pandemic hit. We're normally always on tour. We're front of house engineers, we're musicians, we're publicists, we're tour managers, we're videographers, and we put our collective efforts together to create Hello TV, a safe, affordable place for people to create new video content that matches the quality, the standards, and the needs of 2021. So don't wait. They're based in Nashville, but they can and will travel. Hit them up and let's see how we can help you your band, your project, your brand, reach new heights in 2021. Hello TV, dot com. Let's get at it. Hello and welcome to the Berman Hour podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Berman. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening right now. For those of you that have done that, thank you very much. For those of you that haven't done that, I'm just beginning to feel like a fucking teacher and you're not doing the homework and I can't really discipline you because, you know, maybe you have a good excuse for not doing your homework, but you don't have a good excuse for not rating, reviewing, and subscribing the Berman Hour podcast. Come on. I'm giving this to you for free every week. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. All right, let's get it. My guest this week is Krista Makes. You know him from Less Than Jake. He also has a new podcast, relatively new podcast. Krista Makes a podcast where he interviews songwriters about specific songs. And I say it here in the interview, I think it's a good idea, and it has grown into one hell of a great podcast. So kudos to Chris for doing that. He and I have played together on his solo jaunts a few times, so we talk a little bit about that. This interview is actually from a few months ago. When I first started doing the Berman Hour podcast, I did it on Instagram Live, and there were a handful of interviews that I felt were really, really good, if I may say so myself, but they kind of fell victim to the fact that they were on the Instagram Live platform, which as you've heard me say, is not destination listening or destination viewing in that circumstance. So I have resurrected a handful of these interviews, and I'll be kind of playing them through the rest of this winter as I throw in brand new interviews as well. But don't be, you know, turned off and think, uh, whatever, it's an old interview with Krista Makes. First of all, A, it's fucking Krista Makes from Less Than Jake. Two, I'm not going to sell you down a river with some fucking bullshit. This is a really fun conversation with Chris because Chris is a fun guy to talk to. Before we get to the interview with Chris Demakes, I do just want to make mention of another podcast that I was on last week called Mixtapes and Heartbreaks, which was a great interview that I did with friends of mine in Oklahoma City. I'm putting out new music these days. There's new Divided Heaven music out now. There's going to be more soon. I just finished a new record. So I'm in the process of being put through these publicity campaigns for these new singles and the new record. And part of those campaigns includes being interviewed on other people's podcasts. And sometimes those interviews are okay. Sometimes they are terrible. And sometimes they are excellent. 
I had an excellent time with Mike Herrera on his podcast about a month ago. And then last week, like I said, mixtapes and heartbreaks. Look it up wherever you find podcasts. We had a great conversation about some favorite classic songs of mine, including a Jack's Mannequin song, a Nightmare Review song, and an old Poison song. And I know that Krista Makes would find that appropriate that I chose a Poison song because he's a fellow hair metal aficionado like myself. So without much further ado, thanks for tuning into the Berman Hour podcast. And here is my interview with Krista Makes of Less Than Jake. Let's go. I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. I'm emanating from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Where are you at the moment? I am uh, 20 miles south of the Kentucky border, and I live in Tennessee. I live about uh, 30 miles north of uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, so I'm in the middle of the woods. Ooh. Are you in Knox County, technically? Uh, No, I'm in Campbell County. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, because the mayor of Knox County is Kane, the famous wrestler. I don't know if you knew that. Wow, I did, I knew. You learn something new every day. You learn something new every day. Well, it's good to see you. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. Um, I want to talk uh, about the new podcast. I want to talk less than Jake. I want to talk a little bit of shit, because that's normally what you and I do. I think that one of the things you're best known for is that, uh, and I mean this as, as a compliment, is your banter on stage is always great. It always kills. But I imagine that there was a point in time where it didn't, where maybe you got crickets or you thought something was going to kill and it totally bombed. At what point into your career, because now Less Than Jake is pushing 26, 27 years, how soon into your career were you comfortable enough to start ripping into the crowd but knowing that you could always bring it back? When did that really banter of yours come to life? Uh, When I knew we we just weren't playing to Rednecks in North Florida and I was going to get my ass kicked after the show. For real, man. I'm like, we, you know, in the early 90s, we cut our teeth, you know, Gainesville, Florida, if it wasn't at a punk club downtown, I mean, uh, you know, it was, it was slim pickings to find, you know, punk or ska bands to play with, you know, in the early 90s in Florida. So, you know, we'd play a lot of country bars, we'd play, you know, wherever, you know, restaurants, VFW halls, and, uh, yeah, you know, our motto in the early days was always, if they don't like us, they're going to at least remember us. <laughs> Fair, enough. Fair enough. Were there some hairy moments in the early days where, where you were threatened with violence or were you feared for something worse than just a tomato? Yeah, there was there was there was moments, but you know, we were graced by the fact that we were just a little bit later than the eighties. You know, we came around in ninety-two because shows in Florida back in the eighties, well punk shows anywhere, they they, they were dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know. Really, it was uh, by the time we came along, it wasn't that bad. I mean, certainly there 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 were moments, but uh, you know, most of it was just like I said. It was it was we wanted to play so bad. When you're a young band, you'll you'll play literally anywhere. Sure, so we were playing these dive bars where it was just like, you know, toothless Tony and his cronies playing pool in the back did not want to hear the blue kid with with dreadlocks, uh, you know, sc- screaming at them. While you know they just wanted to have a beer and, and play pool. Yeah. So Less Than Jake started in 92, and really, I think a lot of people, really, it was, it was Pezcor that, or sorry, it was Losing Streak that really was the first big bump for you guys. What I always found interesting about your band, Less Than Jake, is that you guys, pretty early on in your career, were on a major label, and you guys kind of 
tactfully got into that that mainstream world seemingly without a lot of backlash. Do you remember it as such, or, or was it a little bit different than how I described it? No, I mean, you know, it was... We put a lot of groundwork in uh, prior to getting signed, you know. So when we got signed in late, we got signed in December of 95, November of 95. Mm-hmm. Um, the record didn't come out for a year later. It came out in October of 96, Losing Streak. So, you know, we had about a year of being signed and being a band that, you know, back, you know, there wasn't this to just sit and look. Oh, they're on a major now. There wasn't every news site at, at, at your, yeah, yeah, at your yeah. fingertips. So. Um, yeah, there was rumbling. Some people knew. So we we really had a solid four years of, um, you know, which is still in the, in the time of a band that's still relatively early to get signed by a major. Uh, some bands never get signed uh, to a major. So but um, we put in a lot of groundwork. You know, by the time we did get signed, you know, we were already outside of Florida playing in some instances, to, you know, 100, 200, 300 kids in, in certain cities. Yeah, you know, Chicago. We were good for four or five hundred people before we we ever had a major label record. So you know we were we were doing pretty good, but uh, you know it was a lot different back then. It, it, no, no one cares now what label you're on. Kids don't care. It's not exactly. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It's not even like like if you were to mention that to someone that was twenty years old, they go, "That used to be a thing." And see, my position in the '90s was. Like, who's calling Michael Jordan a sellout for, for taking the $10 million offer versus the $5 million offer? Like, I never I never understood it. I never got it, you know? I never. I agree got with it. you. I agree with you. And, and I wasn't fishing for the sellout conversation because that's tried and true and it's, it's, it's laid oh, out. Yeah, it's yeah. boring. But I think more here's, – here's what I think. At some point in – I think it was 2002, I was at Matt Drastic's house. My band toured through Nashville – and we stayed at his house or something. And I saw this less than Jake Lucky Charms box that had seven inches in it and toys and all this shit. And I just remember thinking, like, even at that point, you guys had carved out such a unique career for yourselves. Was it around that same point, that losing streak time period where you guys felt like you kind of, I don't want to say graduated, but you gradually entered kind of a, a, a different marketplace, a different way of, of existing as a band that wasn't entirely predicated on kind of a punk scene for lack of a better term well it was a little bit of both because you know we came from the punk scene and like we were really into like doing wacky records and having crazy merchandise and and we were all collectors ourselves be it pez and toys and yeah we just liked the packaging and that's what that was the allure of punk rock for me was when i was getting into it it was it was all mail order back then so it was like you know, you were buying records just because the, the cover looked cool, you know, and or you, you read a review in Maximum Rock and Roll or Flipside and was like, gave a good review of a seven inch. And, and this sounds like East Bay Punk a la Operation Ivy and Green Day. And you'd buy it. You I know? like it. Yeah. You know, and um, so, you know, we took that aesthetic. But then, you know, when we got signed to Capitol, I mean, it's, it's really funny now to think about it. I mean, we got signed for one hundred thousand dollars, which. Sounds like a lot of money, but it's not, not, not for a major label band and not at that time, especially at that know. time. Yeah. You know, now it's a decent chunk of money. You got a hundred grand from a label. Now you're, you're, you're doing something right. But in 1995, 96, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't a lot of money. So, you know, we went in with the whole thing of like, we really just wanted to be marketed because we didn't really have an identity with a label. We were on no idea. We were on Asian man records. We were on countless compilations sure um so we didn't really have an identity it wasn't like we were a fat records band or we were an epitaph band so 
we were kind of trying to find ourselves. And uh, this deal came along. We were told that we could put out vinyl still of the releases and keep the money. We were told that we had a say about that stuff. We could record a certain amount of songs outside the major label project. So there was a lot of things that, that you know, I mean, we got courted in March of 95 and didn't sign till almost December. So you're looking at about nine months. And it, it was, I mean, they were threatening us near the end. Like, look, we're, we're going to pass on you guys to go to another band, which was, which was bullshit. But, um, you know, they, they were like, you know, kind of crap or get off the pot guys. And, um, yeah. and, and it was great, you know, without them, I mean, now our record was in every store. It didn't matter if you were at the mall, if you're independent store. Now we had, now we had real distribution. Yeah. That's all we wanted. We wanted the, the kids to be able to find the stores and, and you know, the, the records in the stores. Yeah. I remember hearing Hello Rocky for the first time in one of those listening spaces at a San yeah. Francisco, um, which was huge. Um, oh, yeah. and, and I was blown away at the fact that it, it was as good as it was and sounded as good as it was. And it was on Capitol. Um, I, I had not put it together that Losing Streak was on Capitol. It, it must have passed me. Because having toured with you guys a little bit and gotten to know you, you guys all seem to have different but good sense of humor and you have a good sense of humor with each other. Was there ever a tussle in the band or, or ever any sort of conflict in the band between wanting to kind of do things that were on a trajectory or serious or business oriented, but at the same time you want to record the whole fucking Grease soundtrack and put that out too? Was there ever any kind of tension within that or was it kind of just agreed that that's not the kind really, of band you were, you just did it? Not really in the early days, but from just speaking to me personally, you know, I took a turn around, um, and if anybody's wondering what I'm about to talk about, all I have to do is go back and look at my uh, my Instagram for the last year. I was posting pictures. I mean, I used to dress in these crazy costumes um, from the yeah. beginning. And, and what what how that came about was it was boredom. We'd pull into a town, and you'd Milwaukee on a Tuesday, and I'd be walking around the venue, nothing to do, and I'd, I'd wander into thrift stores and be like, oh, there's a fireman's outfit. This is funny. You know, how much? How much? It's five bucks. And I'd you know, piss away $5 and buy a wig and a hat. And so I started wearing these costumes and, um, you know, the silliness and, and the fun of it all has always been there with us. I mean, it is, you know, short as probably seven, eight years ago, we did, uh, we did the uh, TV EP, which we did TV commercials. Oh, sure. But, you know, we're still doing fun stuff like that. We probably always will, but, um, it was around probably 2000, 2001, that um, I ditched the costumes because it was starting to become a parody of itself, kind of like a joke, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't want to be taken necessarily serious, but we didn't have an identity, you know, it's like, you know, I was dressing as a different, like, and believable characters too. Like I'd get up there and I'd look like a, you know, 45 year old businessman. Um, yes. So I was 25 at the time. So it was, it was weird it was, and, and it was all fun and it was awesome. But at some point, you know, that I can speaking for myself, that's when I turned the corner, you know, on that. But as far as doing grease and stuff like that, no, it never, never crossed our mind to be, you know, we can't do, do fun stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I think you and I share in an unironic and totally authentic way is that we really love the eighties hair metal era of, of rock. What were some of the bands from that era that, that you really gravitated to? It seems like everybody seems to have kind of, the one or two that they clutch is their, their main ones. But I'm curious I mean, I, I loved most of them. I'm, I'm the most obscure. I listened to them all. If it was a good song, I liked it. Yeah. Um, and, and most of them only had one good song. <laughs> so, you know, or like, one good record. Yeah. And yeah. And like, I took that into the nineties. Like you weren't allowed to like hair metal in 1995. If you were in a punk band and I would be, I'd be 
unabashed about it in interviews. Like I was still wearing Motley Crue and Warren shirts. Like yeah. I just always loved, I came from a musical family. My mom and dad are musicians. So I listened to everything from Neil Diamond, Barry Manilow, Beach Boys, Black Sabbath, uh, you know, Motley Crue, Metallica, all the way up uh, until I discovered punk rock when I was about 15. Yeah. Um, 14 or 15, I heard, heard the Misfits. That was the first band I ever heard, uh, punk band. Okay. And, and that was crazy because n- n- in the town that I lived in, nothing nothing sounded like that. So, But to answer your question without getting too off topic, um, I'm listening to everything. Of some, some of my favorites, uh, uh, Motley Crue, Love Crue. I love Rat. Um, yeah. I loved uh, love Metallica when they came along. They were just, you know, revolutionary. And uh, and I always had my, my pulse on things that weren't popular yet. You know, I had, I had Ride the Lightning before Master of Puppets and... They were a small band then, you know, they were, they were well, well on their way, but they weren't the household name that they became, you know? So, um, yeah. And then of course, a lot of the stuff in the eighties, I was, um, you know, it it was a stigma of, well, I, I I can't be a metalhead and like you too, or I can't, you know, I couldn't possibly like that Peter Gabriel song. So, uh, as an adult, I, I definitely went back and discovered a lot of bands from my youth that, like, my sister's friend loved Duran Duran, and I was like, "Oh, that band's lame," you know? Amazing! That oh my god, their, their songs are just un unreal, you know. Yes. And so now I I have no problems saying that. I, yeah, I listen to Duran. Duran. <laughs> yeah, I, I do too. Um, and Peter Gabriel is somebody who's who I've gone back to recently and, and been like. Oh, you know, I remember liking thinking the videos were really cool back in the eighties. But speaking of videos, really... speaking of videos, Peter Gabriel's daughter Anna and Tom Petty's daughter Adria, they filmed our Gainesville Rock City video. Little oh, no way. Yes, sir. Oh wow, that's awesome. That's a crazy story. That's 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 cool. That's cool. <laughs> Um, That's a really crazy story. You did a really beautiful cover. Motley Crue is one of my my killer bands as well. Um, and you did a really beautiful cover of Home Sweet Home. It was kind of a reggae version. It was a reggae version. Of yes. It. And it's it's available. I think it's still up on your Spotify page. Um, I sang that in the dressing room at the Best Buy Theater in New York City, by the way. Oh, you tracked it there? Yeah. Oh, well, no, it's, it sounds good. It sounds good. <laughs> uh, it leads me to my, my next question for you is how surreal was it when Less Than Jake ended up being direct support for Bon Jovi on that cycle that they did. It was amazing. It was amazing. I know Bon Bon Jovi was this phenomenon, and then they stopped playing around 95. John went went and tried to do some acting, and uh, they came back for a for a, a reunions of sorts. You know, they never broke up, but they came back and did the Crush record in 2000. By the time 2000 came along, my generation wasn't into MTV anymore. It didn't speak to us anymore. Yeah. It went to reality shows. It went to a younger generation. Uh, what was speaking to us in 2000 was this thing called VH1, which was MTV's sister station. VH1 was playing the, the hair bands. They were starting to do the behind the musics and all these different stuff. And um, Bon Jovi uh, put this record out and they had hit up and this is direct from their agent that told our agent, they hit up all the bands that were popular on that time. It was like Sugar Ray, Lit, Collective Soul, uh, you know, Harvey Danger, all these bands. And they're like, Bon Jovi, fuck no, we're not going to open for Bon Jovi. They're has-beens. That was probably June or July, all of a sudden, late August of 2000. It's um, my life. It's my life. VH1 picks it up. It goes through the roof. Yeah. And we got offered the tour and we were like, yeah, we'll do it. You know, and 
for opening uh, an opening band uh, at the time to get on an arena tour. And for us, it was all about the story and the exposure. And it was just yeah. us and Bon Jovi. They paid us five grand a night. We got one kiosk for merchandise, like on the fourth fucking floor back, back behind the hot dog stand. It was like, they, they made it impossible for us to make money. But, you know, they gave us a decent guarantee. Yeah. I say decent because five grand then was, was, a, was, was a good good chunk of change to, uh, you know, uh, be, out, be out on the road. Certainly on a tour like that. Again, it was about, about the exposure. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we went out and, and had a ball. We started in Fort Lauderdale. We did uh, uh, almost three weeks, about two and a half weeks up the East Coast. Fort, this, this shows you how much uh, fuck you money Bon Jovi has. They, we started in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and the very next show was in Boston <laughs> with a day off in between. Nice. So after the Lauderdale show, our bus had taken off and, and driven through the night, stopped somewhere, and ended up in Boston. And, and uh, a couple of us flew up there, I think. But, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's pretty. It's, and. Have you found that a lot of fans, that was the pivotal moment where they discovered you, then they've been following you ever since? Some fans, I mean, you know, there were nights where, you know, we we went out there and, and I was still dressing like full 80s metal regalia. I took it to the hill. I was wearing, you know, spandex with the ass cheeks cut out. I remember. Just, I remember. Yeah, it was yeah. it was gnarly. And uh, but we um, it, it was it was a really fun tour. We we got exposure and we did make fans out of it. So. That was Crush Tour with Bon Jovi was November of 2000. Fast forward to July of 2001, June or July, or maybe, yeah, probably June or July. We played uh, uh, St. Louis on the Warp Tour, and it was at this amphitheater, and it's like 100 degrees out. And I'm walking back to the bus through the concourse, you know, by the all the concession stands and whatnot. And this guy yes. comes up, he, he's, he's running, you know, he's out of breath. He's like got a suit jacket over his back. He's like, man, man, I just want to tell you, you guys are like my favorite band now. I, I, I saw you open for Bon Jovi. I got to head back to work, man. Nice to meet you. You know, he had, he had left work. He found out what time our set was, came and see us, saw us at Warped Tour. Oh man! <laughs> so you know we did we did make and there's to this day there's still people that said man the first time I ever heard you was on the Bon Jovi tour because I hear that from people quite often and and I didn't catch that tour because I don't think I don't remember if you guys came through Washington or not but I saw you on the next tour when you were at nine thirty and uh, I just I, I was like I, I hope I get to ask them about that someday because that just sounds phenomenal but just so so weird it's just so so unique yeah yeah no it was. Uh was definitely cool let's talk about your podcast um (laughs) krista makes a podcast it's an interesting thing you're focusing on songwriters and and you're focusing really on one specific song that they wrote i think it's it's fantastic so far i've listened to um feldman and i listened to rogers this morning thank you are you enjoying doing it it sounds like you're really having fun yeah I, i i love it you know i've always been fascinated with songwriting. I have a producer who I've been I've been working with a guy named Chris Fafalios, and Chris plays bass in the band Punchline. I've Is known that Chris. Pittsburgh Punchline. Yeah, Pittsburgh. Punchline. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Known Chris forever, and um, so Chris and I have been working together. He's been doing some animation for me. I've been doing uh, these custom songs and, and jingles and voiceovers, and yeah. So Chris and I have been working together for a couple months, and he said, "Man, he goes, you have to do a podcast." And I said. I said, oh, man, I go, everybody does a podcast. People have been telling me this for years. I'm like, yeah, everybody has a podcast. Yeah. And Chris, Chris looked me you know, straight, straight in the face. He says, um, yeah, but, but they're not you. you know? And I kind of like thought about that for like what he meant. And then I, I started thinking about it from the, from the standpoint of, you know, I do know a lot of people. 
you know, that would probably come on my show if I asked them. And uh, I slept on it. And the very next morning I got up and I, I blew up 20 people's phones. And uh, I did, we did like 12 episodes the first week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I went ahead and just, boom, I, we dove right in and, and we, launched, we launched the podcast. And it's been great. It's been um, beyond my wildest dreams so far. It's been uh, people you know, have been, been very kind with, and people seem to, seem to like it a lot. Yeah. It was fun to hear you and Roger break down uh, the science of selling yourself short. And at one point you're talking about, uh, eighties bands and how when you go to see some of these bands, sometimes you can tell that they're tuned down a half step or a full step so that those vocalists can hit those notes that they used to hit in 1986. Oh yeah. Um, Do you have a vocal regiment that you follow for your own voice or anything like that? No, Roger and I have been blessed with like leather throats, man. I'm telling you, we, uh, I know guys that have horrible problems on the road. I mean, if I get on a, whoa, before I get on stage, that's a warm up, pretty much. Wow. Never. Yeah. I've never really, some people do warm downs afterwards. And I imagine this is something that I'm going to have to, uh, to, to maybe concentrate on as I get older. Because, you know, when guys start having problems with their voice, it's usually after age 50, you know, where we're the singers. And, and most of those guys are guys that painted themselves into a corner and sang so high. And that's one thing Roger and I, for the most part, you know, or at least me, I always I always sang kind of in my wheelhouse. I never went too high or, or too low, which yeah, he's usually harmonizing on the third above you. Right. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, in that aspect, I've, I've, I've kind I'm kind of good. But uh you know, we've just been been really lucky with just having strong voices. I just have a couple more questions for you. And it kind of revolves around something that has had us cross paths at, at different points throughout the country. And that is your solo career. Now, the first time that you and I played together was, I think, one of the first tours that you had started doing since you kind of revamped your solo career. And you didn't play any Less Than Jake songs. And then I saw you in Hermosa Beach about five months ago. And there were two or three kind of sprinkled in the set with some covers and some other originals and stuff. What made you kind of change your tune, no pun intended, to want to include kind of a wider variety of, of your uh, your songwriting and your discography? Well, the songs that, that I do play, um, you know, the Lesson Jake stuff on the solo, they're really stuff that we don't do much. You know, I'm yeah. not not going to go out there and play Johnny quest or something, which people right. would, would, would yell for. And a lot of our songs just don't translate to acoustic. A lot of the horn heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, and, and I, I only do about maybe a dozen solo shows a year, 10 shows a year. And it's usually around the holidays. So it's, yeah. it's never been, it's never been a, uh, uh, a conscious thing of like, Oh, I'm going to have a, a solo career. I've never wanted that. I've never put out a solo record. I probably, <clears throat> probably never will. I've always been very, very happy just being in less than Jake. It's been given me, uh, speaking for like a creative outlet of getting my songs out there. It's, it's the only quote unquote vehicle that I, that I really need, but the solo stuff's been fun though. It was, uh, it started out with a kid, uh, JT, uh, to yeah. our, to play, and uh, Arrogant Sons of Bitches, which was a ska punk band from Long Island. Uh, Jeff Rosenstock used to be in that band. And uh, he had hit me up. And I was about a year shy of turning 40. And out of the blue, he writes me. And I'm like, who is this guy? And he kept hammering me like, I want to do the solo tour. And I want to do it with you. And I was like, 
solo tour. I, I don't really play solo. And he kept going. And, and I said, you know what? If I don't do this, I, I, I may wake up and be 50 and not have done it. So sure. I took a leap of faith. He said, I can guarantee you this much money. I, you know, I got, I got venues that want to book this. And I'm thinking, all right, someone wants to book the dude from less than Jake on a Tuesday night to play with an acoustic guitar. I'll try it. I, you know, cause we were off for like three months yeah. and that was in uh, January, 2014. I flew to New York and we did 15 shows in a row ending in, in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 15 shows down the East Coast. And yeah. uh, it was just him and I and this guy, Ryan Elder, who used to play in Catch-22. And we, were, we, we drove down in a, in a Hyundai Elantra. And uh, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, I think I played with you guys on that tour in Westchester, Pennsylvania, maybe, or somewhere around there. But uh, we had a question earlier. Someone was asking about Warp Tour. Do you miss it? COVID notwithstanding, do you miss that sort of summer camp vibe tour or do you think it ran its course um i mean you know we still get that summer vibe thing you know we're, we still play festivals all over uh yeah. you know but as you know getting on a bus and, and driving overnight to the next one like there was nothing like work tour ever it was a phenomenon that you know on paper it shouldn't it shouldn't have worked you shouldn't have been able to break down 1200 people in milwaukee and and uh drive six hours to detroit and wake up and then and, and it's all set up again it was like you know a tr- small little town uh traveling along logistics of it was was, yeah. un- was unbelievable um you know the work tour did it run its course i think it ran its course for kevin lyman you know yeah. kevin had done this for for half his life half his life you know kevin for those who don't know he started out uh he was perry farrell's assistant at Lollapalooza. And um, Kevin wanted to do his own festival, branched out, did the Warp Tour. They were playing parking lots to 800 people in 1995. 96, they went out. It had kind of tripled in size. And then by 1997, when we got on it, it was just, you know, that was our first year that we did it. And it was great, you know. And I think that, uh, and I don't know if anybody else could could pull it off. Um, Certainly the idea uh, is doable. Kevin has shown that it's doable, but I don't know if anybody would want to put the amount of effort and work. It was, it was a tremendous undertaking. Yeah. And it should be noted in case people don't know that less than Jake holds the record for most warped tour performances at over 400, right? Yes, sir. 441. That's insane. So that's over almost a year and a half full of just playing. And that's not counting the days off and the travel days on a work tour. So it's probably close to, I don't know, close to two years of, of my life has been warped related in some, some, <laughs> some, yeah, some yeah that's, that's quite remarkable. It's, it gets fucked up when you start breaking down how much of your life you've actually spent in traffic, but we will, we'll leave that for another time. Oh yeah. Um, if I want to give myself anxiety, I'll start thinking about how many hours I've spent in an airport. That That's sketchy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, what was the 10-song CD that, that, that uh, I think it was Jack had asked about? I wrote a song on the 2000, before the 2011 Warp Tour, and the song was called 10-Song CD. You can find it on YouTube. And basically, the lyrics are all about like people illegally downloading and, and basically not paying for your music. Mm-hmm. And uh, the chorus was like, um, you can call me lame, you can call me greedy, you can even say my business practices are seedy. This one song for five bucks is the way it should be. 
Um, this easily could have been a 10 song CD. <laughs> that was the name of the song, 10 song CD. So I would stand out at a merch booth and I would, I'd, I'd sell like five or 10 a day. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah. So that's pretty Still, funny. So, wait, was it under less than Jake or was it under less than Jake's locker? No, it said Chris to make, it said, it said Chris, it said Chris to makes on it. And there was a line in the song that said, uh, if fat Mike wrote this song, you'd think it's funny. But you would. But because I did it, I got called out. Like it's, it says, uh, uh, less than Jake lead singer asshole. Like on YouTube. I think that's the one when the guy posted it. So. And it's still following you to this day. It's still following you. <laughs> I to played this it. Day. I played it on a solo tour not too long ago, actually. But the song doesn't translate. You have to actually be screwed into paying five bucks for the one song for it to, for the song to make sense. So. Um, well, thanks, man. I, I can't appreciate. Uh, I, I can't thank you enough. So you're gonna cut me off now that we're at, we're at 39 viewers. It's the most we've had all night. We can keep I, going. We can I thought keep this going. was the I thought this was the Berman Hour. God damn it. That's the joke. It's like the ten song CD thing. It's not. It's never been an hour. Are you kidding me? No one wants to look at my my putum for this fucking long. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? <laughs> right on, man. Well, hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, man. I hope to uh, I hope to see you guys soon, and I hope yeah. to see you in some sort of safe capacity. It's and I have, a, to- I, have, I have one question for you. So, yeah. do, you, do you call it Lancaster or Lancaster? It's Lancaster. Of course, it is. Yeah, of course it is. I know that. I got flamed for saying it the wrong way on stage for years, so I had to learn. Well, I mean, I doubt you guys would have ever played Lancaster, California, but that's how you pronounce it out there. You know, I want to say we did. Really? Oh, back, way back in the day, yeah. I want to say we played there. Remember Link 80? Yeah, of course. I think we played there with Link 80. I'm serious. That would make sense. So yeah. we're talking 90. 5, 96? 96. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think, but I think was, you guys have played the chameleon here a number of times in, oh yeah. in Lancaster. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. You got it. Well, well cool, I, man. I, well, I, well, thanks for having me on the, the Berman 42 Minutes. It's just like the Krista Makes podcast, which is 46 <laughs> minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsors, Hello TV, who can help you, your band, your roster, your brand, create content that will work for you and exceed your expectations for what we all need to get done in 2021. H-E-L-L-O-O-O-T-V.com. Thanks again to Krista Makes. Please, the new Lesson Jake record is great, so be sure to check that out. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Berman Hour podcast if you haven't already. Thank you all so much. I'll see you next week. Peace.